0: But when you think of Christianity, what comes to your mind? Is it someone who is striving to be perfect in order to please God? Well, for many in the world, that is a description of a Christian. But is is it possible for any of us to be perfect? In other words, without any sin. And the answer to that is overwhelmingly no. It is not. We are all sinners. Even as a believer, we are all sinners. But our Creator God understands that, and He still loves us. And as a result then, we see in Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God understands, doesn't He, that we aren't perfect. That does not mean, though, that you and I still cannot be successful as a Christian. There are many characters we see in the Bible that didn't always live up to the expectations of our Lord. But it didn't stop them from becoming amazing Christians. And so as we study the life of Joseph, we need to learn not to let the external storms of our life change our faith, our hope, and our love for Christ. You know we may suffer in this world but our Lord Jesus Christ is never going to leave us or forsake us. Even though we may look like losers to a lot of the people in the world there are many biblical characters that we've been studying such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who repeatedly fell short of God's expectations. And even though they did, they continued, though, to have faith in God. Joseph, however, as we're studying, is a striking example of someone who responds in trust and obedience to the will of God. And it was Joseph's own moral courage that saved the day. And in the story of Joseph this morning, we're going to see how attention now is turned to a human response in the midst of adversity For Joseph. You know, the Bible stories teach us so many life lessons, such as forgiveness and integrity, hard work. But this morning, we want to dwell on trust. Trust. As we continue to study the life of Joseph, then we will see that he remains steadfast in his faithfulness to God, even in the severest trials of his life and so the narratives of Joseph's life begins then to give expression to that part of the promise this morning I read I labeled my message God's presence even in the storm and the theme is trust in God's plan and the purposes for your life though the narratives of Joseph's life begin then to give us expression to that part of the promise that God made to Abraham. It was found in Genesis 18, verse 19, where it says, For I, speaking of God, have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what has been spoken about him. And so we'll see this morning then, Joseph is going to be a huge, large piece of the puzzle as he has now been sold to the Midianites, the slave traders, taken to Egypt where he's been put on the slave block and purchased by Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer. Now ask yourself this morning, how would you and I have reacted if we had found ourselves in a slave caravan headed to Egypt? to be sold as a slave. And then think about this, once you had been sold, how would you have reacted then to your new master? Well there are many hard questions aren't they? Those are hard questions because none of us has ever had to experience anything like that being a slave. Unfortunately that kind of treatment still goes on in our world today. A study was done in 2021 and it found that 50 million people were estimated to still be enduring such conditions as slaves. Some form of modern slavery exists in nearly every country in the world, including ours. North Korea was the worst, along with Turkey. Well, as we continue to study Joseph's life, We're going to see that there was, and as many times there still is today, a human part that needs to be played out in fulfillment of God's plan. Ask yourself this question as we begin to study Joseph's life again this morning. Why is it that you and I seem to draw closer to God during times of trouble? And there is a lot of trouble in the world today, and you see in the churches being filled praying for Israel why is that we know in our hearts don't we that God does not make mistakes God is infinite in his wisdom he always knows what's best for us he knows the best way to bring that about in our lives don't we know that sure we do we know from God's word that when God's people respond as Joseph responded then their ways and God's blessings will prosper for them as we'll see this morning, because as John Piper states, the chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy himself forever. That's a hard quote, isn't it, to wrap our arms around? But that's what he says. Sadly, though, most of us, when we see tragic events unfolding or if we are experiencing adversity in our own lives, there's this three-letter word that keeps popping out of our mouths. Why? Why, God, why is this happening? What have I done to deserve this? And the reason we ask that, according to Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God, and I would, that's a great book if you ever have read it. You need to read it. He says it's because... We do not see any possible good for us or for the glory of God that could possibly come out of our particular adverse circumstances that we that may have come upon us or those that we love. But folks, you know the devil is the same as today as it was in Joseph's time. And according to 1 Peter 5.8, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. As Luke 22.31 says, When you remember when he was after Peter, he wanted to sift Peter like wheat to make, and he does that for us too. He would love to do that with us, to sift us like wheat, to make us curse God, just as he tried to get Job to do. But the wisdom of God is seen when he brings good to us by seeing us through these adverse conditions that we go through. Thus it will bring glory to himself out of the confusion and the calamities of our lives as we trust Him. And that's the main focus I want to work on this morning, trust. So remember God and His wisdom. It will bring about good out of the evil intended for us by making these pitfalls in our lives work together for good. As we've seen it already in this morning's message, Philippians 1.6. For I am competent of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We're going to continue this morning then, as we're told in Genesis, of this young, arrogant boy we've been studying about. He's spoiled by his father, hated by his brothers, sold to slave traders. And after Joseph was (laughs) sold to the slave traders, we're not told exactly what happened to him on the way to Egypt, but I'm sure it was not very pleasant and once he got there, he was sold to the highest bidder. As we've previously studied, Joseph was purchased by Potiphar, who held the position of captain of the bodyguard. We were not given any of the details of that, except most likely it included the oversight of the prison and the execution of king's enemies. We were told that Joseph's master then is Potiphar. Potiphar, it seems, evidently had been a fairly wealthy man, was influential, but remember this this was a time when Egypt was a great world power and they lived a life of luxury. <laughs> a basic description of how most people feel America is today to the rest of the world. Well Joseph has found favor with Potiphar, who was highly educated, probably well cultured. He maybe even some of the commentators think he may have even been of royal descent. And when compared to Joseph's upbringing, as a young man, it seems there would be no chance that this 17-year-old boy would have a man like Potiphar pay attention to a slave like himself. And yet God used Potiphar, and he used Joseph to accomplish his sovereign plan, just as he does for every one of us here, for all believers. You know, God has been working in the young life of Joseph all of his life, Beginning with Jacob, his father. Joseph had a problem, as many of us have a problem even today. What was that? It was pride, wasn't it? He had a problem with pride. However, as we've seen, the Lord has been with Joseph in all of his circumstances, that even as a slave and Potiphar has noticed now that whatever Joseph was assigned to do, that he excelled in it. A good lesson for us here. You know, we may not feel it, but others who see us, and they see how we act, how we react, and by our talk, they know that there is something different about us, just as Potiphar noticed Joseph. And as a result then, Potiphar placed Joseph in his house, and he entrusted Joseph with all of his household duties, see, Joseph wasn't under lock and key, under Potiphar. He trusted him. He trusted him and he wasn't going to run away. And as a result then, Joseph became the overseer of Potiphar's entire household. Potiphar saw something different in Joseph from all of his other slaves and all of his servants. And we need to ask ourselves here this morning, do others see something different in you and me? Something that is different from them? Think back for a moment to the time of Abraham and his descendants. Why did God choose them? Well, it was to show the nations His plan of grace, His character to all people, so that as they observed the lives of a faithful people serving a living God, that they would desire then to know this God that Israel served. Now, some say Joseph's life is a picture of Christ. We see in Luke 2.40, it says the child, speaking there of Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And we can kind of see that in Joseph as he's growing up, just as others should see something different in us. Remember, it should be, what do they see in us? It should be Christ in us. As Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Well, in these short years, Joseph has risen to a place of respect as the overseer of Potiphar's entire household. And yet we see evil was knocking at his door as Potiphar's wives, as Rod taught us last week, had eyes for Joseph. Now, we don't know if this was a common thing for her to do. It may have been. We don't know how old she was. We don't know if she was attractive herself. And yet, she, in any case, she lusted after Joseph. It's also interesting how the commentator, Henry Morris, says he thinks because Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard, that most likely he would have been in charge of political executions that was ordered by the Pharaoh. Joseph appears now to have been an attractive man, well-built, in his twenties. Everyone is seeing now how gifted this man is. He overachieves at everything he does. Joseph would have been a man who had turned heads. A man whom I'm sure all of the Egyptian servants were jealous of, especially because of his position over them. Potiphar's wife, hmm, well, she noticed Joseph, didn't she? And she evidently was very vocal in propositioning Joseph. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was daily trying to get Joseph to commit this sexual act with her. She was carried away with lust, attempting to get Joseph to lay with her. We must not forget also here, though, that Joseph, as Rod taught us, was also in the prime of his manhood. He was subject to every temptation that men and women have today. We also remember his situation. He had no family there. He was in a strange land, probably very lonely at this time. In spite of all that, though, Joseph, we see, demonstrated his determination to stay pure. Joseph overcame his own desires, we will see, just like it tells us that we should do, as there are five verses that I'm going to point out in the New Testament that speak of of this, as God is with us also in every situation, just as he was with Joseph. And this morning we're going to pick up again the narrative of Joseph who has rejected the improper seduction of Potiphar's wife. How did he do that? by fleeing from the temptation of her advances. Just as those five verses I've mentioned in the New Testament mentioned also do. The first one is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And then there's James 4, 7. And 2 Peter 2, 9. And 2 Timothy four eighteen. You see, all the life of Joseph exhibits every one of those verses I just mentioned, just as all true believers should. We need to remember Joseph demonstrated his trust in God, even though he didn't have any of those verses that I just mentioned of Scripture. But he trusted God. So Joseph is a great example for us, a great example of how you and I can apply Scripture in our lives, because God has given us everything pertaining to God in order to live a godly life. He's given it to us in His Word in Scripture. We don't have an excuse. Well, Joseph was a young man. He was a young man of high moral integrity. He was intelligent, personable. And Potiphar saw this in Joseph. And even though Joseph didn't have the written word of God, he trusted in God. And so we see then how those verses I shared earlier were accomplished in Joseph's life. You remember what they were? Did you write them down? Well, if you didn't, here they are. The first was 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 13 talks about how God will provide a way to escape temptation. Let me ask you, did he provide that for Joseph? Absolutely he did. Does he do that for you and me today? Absolutely he does. How about James 4, 7? James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil. Did Joseph resist the devil? He submitted to God. Remember what he told Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39.9? He said, there is no one greater in this house than I. He, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Hopefully, that would be our response when temptation comes our way. Well, our next verse was from James chapter 1 verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Joseph endured, didn't he? But the question is, are we enduring temptation? You know, I don't know what temptation might be in your life, but God does, and so do you. Well, we see next then, the verse from 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. But for now, in our study, it may seem that he didn't. But we're soon going to see that indeed he did. And he still does today, even for you and me. The last verse was from 2 Timothy 4.18. And it says, the Lord will deliver from every evil work. You know, God had plans for Joseph, didn't he? But he has plans for you and me. We also just need to trust him. As he alone knows what tomorrow will bring. He knows what the next year will bring. He knows what's going to happen for the rest of our lives. And it will continue for Joseph then in the years that follow, far down the road, as we finally see him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as he says to his brothers, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Well, let's get back on track here now with the narrative of Joseph in the midst of his temptation. As Potiphar's wife, as Rod taught us last week, is she is relentless in seeking to have this sexual affair with Joseph. Day after day, she keeps trying to entice him. Until one day, as we were taught last week, she was entirely alone in the house with Joseph. And as I read that, I thought, "hmm, I' bet she planned it that way. She wanted everybody to be gone. And after Joseph once more refused her advances, what did she do? She grabbed him by his garment as Joseph fled, and he left his garment in her hand. Joseph did what every one of us should do when we're incurring temptation. As 1 Corinthians 6:18 says, "We are to flee immorality which means we recognize it then as an enemy, and we go the other way with no hesitation, no compromise. The definition of that is to flee temptation means to actively avoid and escape from situations or circumstances that could potentially lead us to give in to our temptation. Or as 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says, Flee from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Because when you do, when we flee from temptation like that, as one commentator stated, we are not just evading sin, we are marching towards victory over sin. Joseph appears to have won that victory, didn't he? However, as Potiphar's wife, she is so frustrated, she is so angry at Joseph's refusal, she becomes revengeful. And she now has the perfect way to make him pay for rejecting her. And so this morning as we return to this saga in Genesis 39, verses 19 to 23, we're going to see how Potiphar reacts to his wife's claim. So open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis 39, and we're going to begin by reading just the first two verses 19 and 20 of chapter 39. Let's read it together. It says, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Well, let's discuss for a moment here then the steadfast morality of Joseph. You know, Joseph, he has been steadfast, he is avoiding her advances, he has escaped her treachery, but it seems to be for only a short time as he now has executed her plan for Joseph's destruction. And so far in this narrative of Joseph's life, we see what might have been called, you and I would have called it disaster, one right after another. Potiphar's wife, though, is she's cunning and she is ruthless and she's out to seek revenge because of Joseph's refusal to submit to her desires. And it appears that she has succeeded. But let's look then at Potiphar's wife's immorality in verses 19 and 20. Think back for a moment. Remember how she laid out this plan of hers? It was like a spider building a web of lies in verses 11 through 16. In verse 14, she called all the other men of the household together. Is there anything wrong with that? No. She could do that. She's their boss. Second, she told them, see, he, speaking of Potiphar, has brought in a Hebrew. Well, was that true? Yes, it was true. Potiphar had purchased Joseph as a slave. Third, she says, and here's where the lies begin. She says, her husband has brought in this slave Joseph to make sport of us. Was that true? No, it wasn't true. That was a lie. Then she says, and Joseph, he came in to me to lie with me. Was that true? No, that's another lie. And then she says, and I screamed. Was that true? Well, if she did, it was because she was probably furious with Joseph for reacting the way he did once again. Then she says that he, speaking of Joseph, after she screamed, ran leaving his garment beside her and went outside. Well, that's partly true, isn't it? But it's mostly a lie. Joseph did flee. He did leave his garment. Why? Because she pulled it off of him. So the last part of the web of lies then was that she left Joseph's garment and she grabbed it off him. She leaves it beside her to make it look even more convincing when Potiphar came home. And so she is anxiously awaiting for her husband to come home, to tell him this lie, and to set in motion then Joseph's doom. This whole setting reminds me of a poem called The Spider and the Fly. I don't know if any of you have ever heard it. Anybody ever heard that? Oh, yeah, awesome. I had to change it a little bit because in the poem, the, the spider's the guy, but I want the spider to be the Potiphar's wife. So here's how it goes. Will you walk into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. "Tis the prettiest little parlor that you ever did spy. The way into my parlor is up a winding stair, and I have many a curious things to show you when you're there. Oh, no, 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 said the little fly, to ask me is in vain, for who goes up your winding stair can ne'er come down again. Oh, I'm sure you must be weary with soaring up so high. Will you just rest Upon my little bed, said the spider to the fly. There are pretty curtains drawn around. The sheets, they're fine and they're thin. If you like to rest a while, I'll snugly tuck you in. Oh, no, 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 said the little fly. I've often heard that said that they never, never wake up again who sleep upon your bed. Said this cunning spider to the fly. Oh, dear friend, what can I do? To prove the warm affection I've always felt for you. I have within my pantry good store of all that's nice, and you're very welcome. Won't you just please come in and take a slice? No, no, said the little fly. That cannot be. I've heard what's in your pantry, and I do not wish to see. Oh, sweet creature, said the spider. You're witty, you're wise. How handsome are your gauzy gauzy wings. You're brilliant, Are your eyes. You know, I've had a little looking glass upon my parlor shelf. If you'll just step in a moment, you can behold yourself. Oh, thank you, gentle one, he said, for what you're pleased to say, and bidding you good morning now, I'll call another day. The spider turned around about, went into her den, for well she knew the silly fly would soon return again. And so she wove a subtle web in a little corner sly and set her table ready to dine upon the fly. And then she came out to his door again, and merrily she sang, Come hither, hither, pretty fly, with the pearl and the silver wing. Your robes are green and purple, there's a crest upon your head. Your eyes are like the diamond, bright and mine are just as dull as lead. And there's more to this poem, but I stop here because it changes, and the fly gives in. But it wasn't so. It's a silly poem, but it reminded me of the study of Joseph. And what a reminder it is for us that when temptations come our way that we need to be like Joseph to close our heart, close our eyes, close our ears and flee and then thanking God for delivering us from evil. Well, let's look next then at Potiphar's reaction in verse 19. It says, notice how she addresses this by saying to Potiphar, your slave, speaking of Joseph, had tried to make sport of her. In other words, tried to rape her. It's as if she's trying to place, as Rod told us last week, to place the blame upon Potiphar. And she goes on saying, when she screamed, he ran, leaving his garment with her. What she now has as evidence, as Potiphar's anger, it says, burned in verse 19. And literally, in the Hebrew, that means his nose grew red interesting observation here. Twice now, twice we've seen how Joseph had been stripped of his garment, and twice it has led to lies concerning Joseph and his future. And when we stop for a moment and we contemplate about this, look at this. Who is the slave here anyway? Is it Joseph who loves God, or is it Potiphar's wife who is enslaved in sinful passions? And you have to admit, she went to a lot of work, but it, it was a pretty good lie she came up with. And the evidence was believable. And so, of course, Potiphar's wife, or Potiphar believed his wife. And most likely, the lesser servants, who were Egyptians, would have also upheld their mistress's story against the foreigner Joseph. I mean, after all, he's nothing but a Hebrew slave. And he had been set over them, and doubtless... He had held them to strict accountability in their work. And so now they're thinking, it's time we turn the tables, so to speak. There was no trial that we're told of, no plea bargaining. It usually means death. And so his work for Potiphar, it has been finished now, and Joseph is put in prison. The same was true then that is still true today. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, those who are unbelievers and who are committed to the world system of Satan's will stand against the people of God. There may be times in your life and in mine when because of our faithfulness, the world will resent you. It will hate you as Joseph is a case in point. But always remember this. It's not the only example in scripture. Remember the case of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah? When Lot offered these homosexuals of the city his two daughters? In Genesis 19, they said, the homosexuals are saying this now, stand aside. Furthermore, they said this, this one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. And so they pressed hard against Lot. And near to breaking the door. We also see it in the New Testament. In John chapter 19 verse 12. As the false accusations against Christ. Suggesting that Jesus was leading a rebellion against Rome. And when you stop and think about Joseph. And his attitude. He could have become like many of us today. He could have become distrusting. Bitter. Seeking revenge himself. No. No. He could have turned out also like his uncle Esau. His uncle Esau in Genesis 27, 42, remember what he was planning on doing? He wanted to kill Jacob because he took his books right. And yet, even as all this is going on in Joseph's life, he continues to be faithful to God, faithful to his duties as Potiphar's household chief. And it seems as you read this that the odds are stacked against Joseph that he didn't stand a chance. And maybe you're here this morning. and Maybe you're going through something that it seems to you as it's hopeless and that you don't stand a chance either of overcoming. But you know what? When that happens to us, we need to get on our knees. We need to pray and we need to trust in God even more. Because as we trust Him, As we draw even closer to God, that as his child, he will see us through whatever befalls us. He will never leave us or forsake us. You know, there have been many since Joseph's time who have gone through similar situations. They have received mercy and grace extended to them. Just like, remember, how about the Apostle Paul? Or how about the Apostle John in Patmos? or John Bunyan, or George Fox, or Rutherford, and the list goes on and on and on, of those who find favor with God, and the loving kindness of the Lord was with them. And so even though it may seem that there is no end to this, Joseph's life is riddled, it seems, with one disaster after another. We will once again see how the Lord is with Joseph. Let's continue to read that in verses 20 to 21. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. We need to remember that in our passage, there is no evidence that Joseph even got to explain his side of the story. Because there were no trials by jury. There was You were guilty until you were proven innocent if you even got to prove that. So for Joseph, it was, indeed, off to prison. Joseph, it seems, is standing alone. He's been stripped of all his office duties with Potiphar as he was cast into prison. Now, does it seem to you that Joseph is no better off now than when he had first come to Egypt as a helpless slave? Out of one hole, it seems, and now into another one. In fact, it seems he's even in a worse condition now, because before he could at least breathe fresh air in Potiphar's house, but now he's shut in a prison, and we're not told much about these prisons. But a prison cell in those days were often dark. They were hideous and filthy. And it should remind us in the New Testament of how Peter and Paul were treated. And just as it was with Peter and Paul, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. It's interesting, many commentators think that Potiphar, although he was in charge of the prison, he was not the warden of the prison. He was not the, It was instead it was the chief jailer, Potiphar's deputy who was over the prison, known as the chief jailer. Potiphar may not have completely even believed his wife's story because the penalty normally would have been pretty fast death. Many commentators think that maybe this has happened before. Potiphar has remembered how faithful Joseph has been regarding the affairs of his house. And in order to avoid shame, he just puts him in jail. Although when you read Psalm 105, or 17 and 18, it appears there that Joseph may have been treated pretty severe. In Psalm 105, or 17 and 18, it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Now, some say this means he was chained, both the hands, the feet, and the neck. In fact, many think Joseph was placed in a part of the prison called the roundhouse, which was for those who were accused of a capital crime who had been in the king's service and their waiting execution. The roundhouse, from its construction, was usually attached to the dwelling of the officers uh, like Potiphar. It was partly a subterranean dungeon. Uh, though the thick brick walls would rise considerably, uh, considerably above the surface of the ground, they were surrounded then by a vaulted uh, roof, somewhat in the form of like you would take an inverted bowl and put over the top of it. Into such a dungeon then, Potiphar put Joseph, and he, have, he had, would have ordered him, rather, to be subjected to a greater harshment of treatment as was allowed. Now, what do I mean by that, what was allowed? Well, the power of the masters at that time over their slaves was very restricted. In fact, if you murdered your slave or had him killed, it itself would have been a capital crime. However, the chief jailer could treat them any way he wanted so long as they didn't die. And it appears this jail is a place where the king's prisoners were bound. So this is not a common jail. It's a holding place of state criminals, waiting execution, and therefore it may be presumed that more than ordinary strictness and vigilance would have been exercised over these prisoners. The accused persons were cast in them until the charges could be carried out. The jailer was responsible then for the appearance of all those who were placed under his custody. In verse 19, it was the place where the king's prisoners were confined. It was a place... It was a place that God will use as what we might call the training ground. A training ground to help Joseph through these ups and downs of his life to learn new skills that he's going to need. And the Lord will use with him in the next phase of Joseph's life. You see, it didn't take God by surprise. Nothing in our lives takes God by surprise. So even when it seems hopeless, Everything seems upside down and out of control, even for us here this morning. We need to be like Joseph. We need to be faithfully trusting God because God is faithfully in control. He's sovereign over everything. It doesn't matter where we are. If we trust in His sovereignty, He will use us for His glory and His purposes wherever we are. And when we are growing in the Lord, and we are focused then on the continued grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can apply it to our lives, then we begin to see how God is working out all things for His glory and our good, even in what we might think are our darkest hours. Just as God did for Joseph, even in the midst of the storm, God gives Joseph then new responsibilities showing that even in prison the Lord was with Joseph working let's read it together in verses 21 to 23 it says but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there he was responsible for it the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. See this chief jailer, this deputy? He's most likely heard stories about Joseph, how faithful he had been. Everything he did was good. And so Potiphar's chief deputy or the chief jailer takes advantage of this, and he allows Joseph then to be his overseer, his steward over all the prisoners. Now, we don't know how long this took, or how long Joseph was even in jail. Some think it was a minimum of two years, and many think much more than that. Well, the chief jailer has allowed Joseph to be much like he was before, as when he had been in charge of all of Potiphar's house. And now he has been made the chief overseer, the chief steward over all of these prisoners, meaning that Joseph is responsible for them. It wasn't because of the kindness of Potiphar or the kindness of the chief jailer that has allowed this. Instead, we see it in verse 23 that it was because the Lord made whatever he did to prosper. We have to remember our Lord is in control of every event of our lives. Whether we think they're good or whether we think they're bad. Isn't it amazing, though, that when you read this story and we see how God has given us the ability to read all about Joseph and the dramatic events, the ups and downs in his life, and even as we finish this lesson this morning, the story isn't over for Joseph. It's just beginning as we see through the lens of Scripture how the hand of God was upon Joseph and is at work in his life, just the same as it is for you and me. Joseph made choices. Yes, some were good and some were bad. How about you? Do you ever made bad choices? Well, one choice was remarkable: was that he chose to trust God in his life, and ultimately we saw he will forgive even his brothers. You know, Joseph's life is an extraordinary one. I believe it really stands among the giants of the Bible. Joseph acted just like it says. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, where it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and while being reviled.